0: Hold up, hold up, hold up. You ain't know we have visuals? Subscribe to the Original Wine and Hip Hop channel on YouTube for shows like Wine and Hip Hop TV, aka the podcast on steroids. Or watch us pay our favorite food from the hood with different wine from all over the world on our food parent show, Tasting Those From The Streets. We got the most original wine content in the game right now. Hit subscribe and bear me. This is a moment in wine and hip-hop, brought to you by Crew Love, blending wine and hip-hop at the highest level. Wine and hip-hop, Yo. wine and music. Turn me, up, bro. me up, bro. You know what it is. Check this, out. Check this out. Oh, yeah. You'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip-hop really mirrors the, the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. Yeah, what's good, Josh? Your man Jermaine Showtime Stone, aka the Wolf of Wine, aka the Zara Vibes, aka Young Thanos. I'm just out here collecting Infinity Stones. We got the big dog in the building. Fuck, but I don't got no nicknames. <laughs> I feel like I'm yeah. I'm <laughs> lacking AKAs. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> we gonna, I think by the end of the show, we're gonna figure it out, okay, man. Uh, sure. You know, I I honestly, like, you one of those dudes, you know, you could go by like Supreme OG. <laughs> you know, like you definitely like. I feel like a godfather in this industry, man. So you know, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. Super um, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Really, really appreciate no, it. For real. You know, my two favorite subjects. Exactly, you know. man. <laughs> Yo, honestly, um, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier. For years, you know, anytime I kicked it with people in the wine industry and started talking my rap shit, um, they would say like, "Yo, do you know Robert Boy? You got to talk with him. He really loves hip hop." So um, I feel like the, the the streets really want this conversation, man. And so we're doing it. Who is your rap spirit animal, right? So <laughs> if you could pick a rapper oh, that embodied your style, your influence, oh, um, and your energy, what rapper would that be?
1: You know, it's. I, I imagine everyone wants to be like, yo, I'm the Jay-Z of rap, or yeah. I'm like the Nas of rap or whatever. But I, I just don't think I'm that showtime. I don't think I'm that like... Also, I'm not diversified in that way. Like I kind of keep it keep it close to to the game. Um, If I were to think about it in a way, I would say someone like Dr. Dre.
0: It's the motherfucking Dr. Dre, motherfucker. And this
1: is gonna sound a little weird, and especially for my friends who know I'm like I'm from Jersey, I'm East Coast, like my hip hop influence is really East Coast based. But if you think about Dr. Dre is he's an OG, he's been around for a long time. He wasn't he wasn't the first, but he's been around for a while. There's right. there, there are people before him. Um, I would say, like myself, I maybe he's he's better in the background. He does a great job of lifting others and, and is really great as a supporting, important cast member, but not the one who's always center stage. But if he's gotta take it down, like, come on, chronic? Fuck, yeah, like, yeah. for real. like. So, so listen, <laughs> yeah. I would say that I, I, I do really appreciate every once in a while being the alpha dog in the room, Yeah. but in general, I think the, the, the thing that I do best is being a little bit more behind the scenes, helping build the team, being a part of a, collabor- a collaborative effort rather than a solo effort. I think that's mm. something that Dre has done really well for his career.
0: Yeah, that's dope. I mean, you know what's funny? At first, I was I was thinking Jay, you know, because Jay is so, like, private reserve, cool dude, known for quality. His shit's always on point, boss. Um, so that would have been an easy one. So, like, the Dre piece, I'm not going to hold you, man. Like... That, that's kind of sick. That's, that's major because Dre is also someone that's really known for attention to detail and quality. And I think that, you know, anyone that knows you, (laughs) right? Like that's something that really shines through, (laughs) you know? Um, So that, that's a dope pick, man. All right. So boom, favorite, favorite Dre track. What you got, man? Oh man. Um, I do like,
1: you know, obviously the Chronic was a fucking epic, crazy you know like legendary classic right but i love kind of like later on still dre he comes back yeah yeah and, and he's, he's just like people are like you fell off and he's like how's that my last <laughs> album was the chronic like how did i fall off from, from what i felt like how is it possible you know and, and so yeah. and and how he brings in a lot of the you know the late 90s, early 2000s kind of beat structure, how it's kind of changed, right? And that's, I think, a part of our conversations, how hip-hop's evolved over the time, specifically in, in production, how production has, has increased while maybe um, the depth of bars and complexity of rhymes has maybe decreased over mm-hmm. time, right? And I think there is that sweet spot where he's able to kind of walk the line between both, especially in that era, that kind of post-50 um, Eminem bringing those guys up through production. Mm-hmm. I mean obviously the snoop thing was earlier, but through the nineties where he's really doing a great job with production and really and really creating um, kind of a quiver of incredible, you know, rhymers into his production set. By the time he gets back on the mic, I think he in, you know in that second round is really where he's he's even more mature and he's got a different style. Yeah. He's been around incredible other lyricists, right? And then not just the West Coast
0: Compton crew that he started well with, right? Him, so. He had Jay writing joints Dude, on he, that actually, that, That's exactly right. You know, and um, finally he got his due recently for that. I think yeah, Snoo- yeah, I think yeah. Snoop, Snoop was it talking about He was like, "Yo, when Jay wrote that motherfucker, I was like, hell yeah." You know, was- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's dope, man. Uh nah, like that. I gotta respect Jay's pen with that. Like he oh. know he knew how to like morph into people like the shit that he wrote for timberland yeah you know um he just knew how to morph into people and i think he stuff. doesn't get
1: enough credit for because one he doesn't talk about it right yeah yeah. the other thing is and you when you listen to those guys talk about how that track goes down it's not like he wrote he wrote a bunch of lyrics and handed to him you know he just yeah. went in did his own style mm-hmm. he like went up to the mic rhymed it out himself jay comes in and puts his yeah. cadence to it yeah. while listening to jay's lyrics it's kind of nuts yeah you think about it while well, the beats are just that whole, that
0: second album is just fucking dense amazing yeah. amazing yeah we could we could talk about that shit forever we got <laughs> the, the streets want to hear so much more man um so you know but you really are like a, a legend in this game you've worked in uh several parts of the industry yeah. um you know you started in restaurants like At the bottom you know um, we crossed paths the Zachy's days. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You starting at the bottom? Yep. Well, word. <laughs> like, you know, um, and, uh, and you know, you ended up going back into restaurants. Like, so, you know, was that, was hospitality like always a, always a path that you saw for yourself?
1: It wasn't always the path that I saw for myself, but I think once you know who you are and what really resonates with you, what, what speaks to you and how you want to communicate who you are to others, Sometimes you don't have the luxury, and I think I'm fortunate in the, in the place that, where, where I'm at now, and, I, and I've been for a long time, where I'm able to do the thing that I was really passionate about. For a really long time, I started in the restaurant business out of necessity. I was a, a dishwasher and a busboy in, you know, when I just started in high school. I worked my way through, worked at a bunch of great restaurants, and I kept getting shots. Mm. People kept trusting me to do better things and more things and more responsibility until I started working in wine uh, just after college at Babo. Before that, I worked at Gramercy Tavern where there's a great wine education. But there was never a plan to be in the wine business or really stay in the restaurant business. I mean, for all the people who are watching now in 2021 to you know, 2022 where restaurants and the wine game and all that stuff is glamorous, in the 80s and 90s, it was like an excuse. You are like, I'm... You were defensive. I'm in the. I'm. I'm working here, but I'm an actor. I'm yeah. working here, but I'm an artist. I'm working here, but I'm a student. Right. I got bigger things. Don't judge me because I'm here clearing your table. That right. was. That was the mentality. Now it's like, yeah, motherfucker, I'm serving you one. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a different. It's a different attitude, right? And so, I was. I went to college in here at NYU to go to law school. I really wanted to work for either the ACLU, the NWC Legal Defense Fund, Lambda Legal Defense Fund. I thought there was a lot. There were still some civil rights battles that needed to be fought. I thought that there was some, there is There is obviously still lots of injustice in the world. And right. and the thing, you know, I think one of the professions where you can make a big impact on, on people is if you're a doctor, right? You pick up a bag, you go, you fly to Haiti after the earthquake and you save lives, right? right? You know, a lawyer can come in and save people from like a death sentence in jail. You can get people out of like some fucked up shit, right? And so I thought, like, there's some. If I were a lawyer, I could really do do good. I could really help some people out. And I think it kind of, not that they're the same thing, but the hospitality gene is kind of the same, where you you're looking to to give people a little respite, a little relief from their daily grind, and you, they come to your restaurant. And they just, a lot of times they're just like exhausted from making decisions. Either they're, they've got families at home and they don't want to like figure out what they're going to eat or drink. They're, wor- they're working jobs and they don't want to have one more decision. So like, listen, we just want to have a great time. Mm. And, and if you can entrust yourself with people and, and say, hey, just give us a great time. We want to have a good time. Every once in a while you get those guests and you can blow them away and you walk away. Like the dopamine high of that is yeah. like, is crazy. So I got into that. And I never really let go um, until recently. So I was in the restaurant business from like '88 until last year. Mm. Damn, man. I was... A little pause here or there, but um, yeah, I did some consulting. As you said, I was in the uh, in the in the retail game for a little bit with mm. Zackies, doing the Burgundy buying, mm. um, where I met my partner. You know, not where I met. I met Ned at uh, at Oriole when when he was the sommelier and I was the uh, food runner, mm. but we kind of came up with this idea of, of wine importing and stuff like that. And Grand Cruise Selections was formed uh, in 2009. I always kept one foot in the restaurant business, one foot in consulting and kind of managed all that stuff. And, uh, that led to where I'm at, but I've always loved being in the restaurant business. I always loved just kind of taking care of people, opening wine, turning them onto new things, being an evangelist for the stuff that you really care about. And I think mm. that's a part of our role. Uh, whether you're a sommelier, whether you're a really, uh, legitimate wine importer or someone who really cares about the people they're representing it's it's kind of the same game where you're really just your your advocates your ambassadors for for the people the wines the stories that you really that you really love and cherish
0: so. right it's funny man that that's honestly um you could tell like how much you love and appreciate service you know like how much pride you take in service like i remember coming here and I'm like literally watching you like bust your ass on the floor, you know, table to table, like really working. And I'm you know? old.
1: <laughs> shit, this is a young man's yeah. game,
0: you know. Yo, look, you know, I I gotta say, man, I always respect it. and I'm I like, look, I'm like, yo, this dude don't gotta be doing this shit. I love you know, it. this it's out of love for what you're doing, yeah. you know. So I, I've always um, really respected that about Thanks, you. Man. And um nah man like coming here was you know me this is still my favorite restaurant <laughs> like too. I spent my um my 30th birthday here that was that was a very important birthday <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah man definitely a lot of fun times here and you know um what I do is blending wine and hip hop that's yeah. my passion that's my life's work it's my career and um a big part of um that Influence came from coming here to Charlie Bird, you know, to see that this shit could actually work. You know, the ideas had been in my head for years, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see that this could actually work on this level until I came here. And I was like, "Oh shit!" Like they really, these people really do fuck with hip hop. Like you be here and you see somebody that might look like your your English teacher. You know, (laughs) and like they're chilling and enjoying it. And I've come here with clients and things like that. And it was a way for me to um, establish a deeper connection with the clients because it was almost like I'm on home court here, you know, because this is hip hop and wine. So, um, you know, I I really appreciated you um, bringing this restaurant into into the game, man. Like, so how did um, when did hip hop like become a part of your life? it's early for me, I would say, mid
1: 80s, I would say, somewhere between 84 and 86. It's a little groggy back then, I kind of think about it, kind of like, what part of like the paper route world did I have at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, I started delivering papers in like, 84, I stopped in 86, and I was selling subscriptions, So it's like somewhere yeah. in between there. Right. And so because I remember buying my first, um, my first CD, and probably 85 it it was probably the first run dmc you know the one with the two of them on there like this with the run dmc above Um, because my cousin moved to a different part of new jersey and came back all about run dmc (laughs) (laughs)
0: So I said this <laughs> rhyme I'm about to say The rhyme was there, but then it went this way Took a
1: And I was like, alright, so we started listening to it on DMC And, and it was great And then, you know, um, Raising Hell comes out in 86 And then you've got, like, L Cool J's coming You know, he's, he's, I mean, this is all Def Jam, right? Yeah. I mean, at the time, of course there was, like, Rapper's Delight, right? And that mm-hmm. was that was playing You heard that, like, years earlier But it wasn't, you didn't really have it you didn't have the same access to 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 new music, we were talking about this earlier, mm-hmm. that you do now. you had to make a commitment, you had to buy an album. Right. You could listen to stuff on the radio, but hip hop wasn't really on the radio, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. just wasn't being played yet. Um, then I remember my sister started dating this older guy who loved Public Enemy. So this is like Yo Bum Russia show. This is like 87, 88. By <laughs> I was fucking hooked by then, yeah. all in, fully in. Um, Probably the album I listened to most of all time was "It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back." Probably like of all time, the, the album I listened to on repeat endlessly. I probably bought 20 copies of that in various formats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like fucked up the tape a few times. In the deck, you got to buy another one because you you twist that. Shit. But anyway, yeah. um, but it was probably that that kind of late '80s. Yo MTV Raps comes on Saturday mornings, and I just I'm glued for those two hours. Again, weren't a lot of videos, Mm. right? Think about it, it wasn't a big part of MTV. They kind of like shunned away from it in a little while, right? And so this is probably 88, 89 when that happens. I'm trying to think I'm in like junior high school, before high school, something like that. Mm. Yeah, so it's probably like by that point, fully in depth. By the time Fear of a uh, Black Planet comes out, I put a poster on my door that faces all the people that walk into my into the kitchen of my house. My dad, not a hip-hop fan, hates hip-hop still, I never converted him, um, was like, that's fucking, you can't have that on the door. I'm like, to my fucking room. You know, like, really, you know, like, you're 13, 14, you're battling out with your dad over what's your shit. I need this
0: poster Post-care. here, this defines me.
1: And so by that point, fully in, fully in, Fever Black Planet, fully in. Um, and then that's when you start to see it become more—I don't call it mainstream, but more popular. Like it did get a little mainstream, right? You start thinking about like Vanilla Ice and all that—that that fucking crazy shit. MC Hammer, all that really—that really dark, shitty period of pop, yeah. hip hop, <laughs> and um, so yeah. Then, then it starts to become more mainstream. Like then, like you know, like I grew up in New Jersey, so like, like the Guidos are going to you know dance halls and dancing the fucking stupid hip hop and you know mixes, and so it became a much more you know it became embedded even in um a predominantly white neighborhood in new New jersey Mm. right and so it's you start seeing it more on mtv you you know the Grammys start including it like it starts to become a part of popular culture in a way that for people who are just getting into it now it's hard to believe that there was a barrier Mm. right yeah
0: exactly you know like yo there was a time they would cut the hip-hop like if there was a a uh, hip-hop verse and, like, an R&B song. They would cut the rap part out, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, in the radio edit. Like, that was a real thing, man. So when you, shit, never thought that hip-hop would, think, would take it this far, far right? right? Exactly. Like, shit, no. what would Biggie say so, if he was around today? Now. You know, no, it's,
1: it's in every jingle on TV. You know what I mean?
0: It's, <laughs> um, you know, speaking of Biggie though. Today you picked the wine, I picked the rhymes. All right. Oh, and, she, okay. You know, I'm I'm gonna keep it real, man. Like this, 94. I lost sleep on this one, man. Like this, <laughs> this you you might have stumped me. You know, I, I, I'm I'm gonna. I think we can go into this conversation saying that you stumped me because, okay. you know, and it's rare that this ever happens. Actually, shit, this is the first. You know, not necessarily just being stumped, but I actually realized something about myself while we were putting this interview together. You know, so you picked a 1994 shot. And um, first of all, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing why. So I'm you know, impressed by your restraint. I'm just saying. I'm on my second class. I'm very impressed by your restraint. <laughs> you know what it is? Professional. I'm, I'm focused. I know. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm focused. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I'm thinking about 94, and I'm like, you know, because that's such a, a dope year for hip-hop. Like, that was how I went into it. I'm like, all right, you know, this is Robert. He's a hip-hop head. So, you know, first thing is think about the guest. Who are you sitting right. with? Uh, all right, you know, we, so I could go into deep cuts here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's pick something from 94. But then I started going through albums from 1994, and I was overwhelmed, it's man. It was it's it a, was, it was was staggering. It's an embarrassment <laughs> of riches is what it's, it is. It's an it's embarrassment only, of riches. It's the only – so I, I want to go over a couple of these. Okay. And we got the Fujis blending on reality.
1: The, the number of freshman albums
0: in 94 <laughs> is bananas. Insane, insane. No, it's insane. crazy. Um, you got Gangstar right. drop that year. No way you'll never make it. Come with the weak shit, I break kids. Step into my zone, mad rhymes will stifle you. Lines like rifles go blast when I kick some ass. A lot of rappers be like one time one. wonders. Couldn't say a fly bomb if there was one right under. Cool G Rap drop that year. First album for, from the roots. That Outcast, Outcast, Southern players with Cadillac music. Like there was just so much like cool, big shit. But then you had the hitters. You had Illmatic. Check me out, y'all. Nasty knives in your area. About to cause massive hysteria. Before a blunt, I take out my fronts, then I start the front. Matter of fact, I'll be on a manhunt. You couldn't catch me in the streets without a turn of reefer. That's like Malcolm X, catching a jungle fever. King poetic, too much flavor, I'm major. Alana ain't braver, I pull a number like a pager. You yeah, had ready, ready to die. Started. Like yeah. and then um yes, Craig Max album dropped that year. Like it was and so like when I kinda started going through this, it was just it was a bit much. It was a lot to to take in, man, and um, when going over it, I realized that 1994 is the year that I fell in love with hip hop. Oh shit! Okay. You know, so um, that's it, it. Kind of fucked me up because I'm like, damn, what was I listening to at that time? And I'm thinking like, this is like ten year old Jermaine, you know, in the BX. This is, and you know, like this. I, I, I didn't, and this is something I didn't really realize until I got in wine, like how crazy life was growing up in the bronx at that time like when i talk about my 10 year old stories and i'm speaking with my wine colleagues that's when i kind of realized like okay shit was a little bit different but like you know 1994 was a um i say i like to say 1994 there was a lot of self-discovery you know in my life and um getting into shit in the streets and um but you also had this soundtrack Like, you had Biggie. Fucking Redman dropped that year. That's true. That's awesome. You know, and this is such a grimy time for hip-hop. Like, um, but also the year that I really fell in love with hip-hop. What what do we have? Warren G. G. Regulate. Yes! It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G. was on the streets, trying to consume some skirts for the E. So I can get some phones rolling in my ride chilling all alone Just hit the east side Of the LBC On a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G Drop that, yeah You know, and that That was when I realized You know We're talking about I Method Man earlier Method Man to cow. i yeah. about to hit the fan Hit the flow That's all I can stand And I can't stand no more What is it? They pick up because they got their finger on the pick up a basket. They don't know from where they get when I start to kick it. If they brought down, watch it down with a lift. And I had a sample, they don't want the truth, but they don't want the hassle. So we try to overthrow the castle. But I had the temple of to your damn black damn, the rental, Go
1: the pistol. If you don't want to burn from the clock, it'd
0: be that was actually the first CD that I ever purchased. Is that right? Yeah, via Columbia House. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We all did it. <laughs> they still looking, man. They still looking. You ain't gonna get me. <laughs> Gingerbread man, baby. <laughs> but you know, nineteen ninety four, like so for me, like that was just um I, I just think nineteen ninety four was a really cool year. So I thought it would be dope to just get your take on some of your favorites from that yeah. time and like, you know, what was your interpretation of like hip hop at that time?
1: No, I was I was um I was here in, in NYU. I was in college here, and um, by this point, a bunch of my high school friends, kind of, also kind of moved into to hip hop as well. And they come to the city, and we visit. We go out to clubs. We go out and and play around. And you know, I remember the end of '93, hearing some like, you know, some singles come out from Nas. And a friend of mine was huge into Nas. And uh, I remember waiting and waiting. It was like January. When's it coming? February, when's it coming? And finally they're like, all right, it's released in April. And we were like, got it, <laughs> you know what I mean? And by that point I moved out to Brooklyn um, to, to, uh, to just kind of like lower my housing costs. We shared like a, th- a three bedroom with, with five other guys and just kind of like, we lived out, you know, near Flatbush and, and so we would, you know, you'd have like, you know, a little disc man. you'd just have like an hour-long <laughs> train and you could just listen to whole albums like start to finish. And I'm not sure there's a more perfect start-to-finish album than Illmatic. Mm. I, you know what? There are other albums I've listened to more. There are ob- other albums that maybe, like, you know, that maybe speak to me a little more, but I don't know if they're... It's just fucking flawless. Yeah. It's just so good, right? Um, so I listened to the album a ton in 94 because um, a lot of my friends, the guys that we were living with, they were DJs. They were, like, they were, looking, they were looking through records early. I remember the first time I heard Craig Mack, and it's such a distinctive, like, dun, don't, yeah. you know, they're just like, you're like, and it's, you know, you have, you know, we had these, we didn't even have like real like technique sex We had like a super shitty setup where like I stole my parents' like turntable and they were, like, we had no sound control, pitch control, so we're like slowing the record down with a thumb. But we all chipped in to buy a mixer for Christmas. It was just so crazy. And so, so whoever got up early, whoever got up first got to put the records on mm-hmm. to wake the house up. And if, so whoever was like that, Craig Mac, was like, it got you out of the fucking bed. Yeah. But that kind of slow, deep delivery style um, kind of gave us set us up for for Biggie right like I think Biggie without that kind of like set up by Craig Mack it, it, because it was if you think about it, like, it was early it was a little like it was a little slow like the beats were were, were heavy and there was it was the, 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 the lyrics were like some parts were like a little like little staccato and so it set up really really well and obviously very different than Illmatic but I think by 1994, coming off of the he- heels of another amazing year, 93, right, with mm. Snoop, Wu Tang, a bunch of great albums coming out in 93. At the end of 93, you had this this 18 month period, which I really I, I really believe is some of the greatest albums of all time come, yeah. come, come, come out in this period of you know late 93 uh, throughout 94. And so, I this is an argument I, I got into an argument with a couple. <laughs> um, music producers and, and music executives and, and, and hip-hop guys one, one time about this exact argument. The best era of hip-hop. And of course, mm. if you're a hip-hop artist, the best era of hip-hop is when you launch your shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's no fucking, no one, no one is shy about right. that, right? And it took, uh, I'll name drop this guy, Leor Cohen, who was, you know, early guy at Def Jam and just a huge, important person in, in, in music, in general, runs YouTube music now, but what he, he said something that made me really think about, a little, made me a little more, self, uh, a little more introspective about my, my preference for this era, and it was, how much new music do you buy now? And I said, not that much. How much new music do you listen to now? I said, not that much. How much time do you have to devote to researching music? Not that much. What were you doing in 1994, 1993? I was like, I was in college. He said, you had a lot of free time. You had a lot of free time to think about music, to listen to music, to talk to your friends about music. You didn't have kids, you didn't have a bunch of jobs, you didn't have bills, you, you had free time. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we develop that side, that free side of ourselves, that cultural side of ourselves, that, that play side, that dimension that's not about stress and work and family in that really beautiful time, if, you, if you're fortunate to have that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I commuted and I worked two jobs, I went to college, but I had time yeah, right. to think about music and did, is it because it was that golden era and just by chance it was great? Or was it because I devoted so much time to think about right, it? Right. Lear's argument is the latter, and I'm not sure. But right. I would say, for me, I still listen to 88 to 95, 96 hip-hop way more than I listen to any other period of music right. in anything. And I really only listen to hip-hop. I listened, I dabbled a little bit with electronic dance music in the mid-90s, you know, mm. went to, like, the Chelsea, like, you know, club yeah. scene out there, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was yeah, yeah. fun before they turned <laughs> into, like, museums and shit. Right. But it was fun, like, Sound Factory and all that shit was great. But they're, they were playing exciting music that was obviously electronic based but they always spun some hip-hop in there. They always yeah. put some stuff, you Yeah. Know? And yeah. those those parties, the Roxy, you know, Stretch Armstrong had a room. Yeah. Or like Mark Ronson <laughs> had a room. The guys who are famous now were like the satellite rooms. Right, right, But they always were pl- spinning some crazy hip-hop. So anyway. Yeah. So anyway. I'm um, probably going off topic, but.
0: Nah, nah, nah. That shit is dope. Like, I'm thinking about this, and um, yeah, I'd have to say my favorite song from that era. Because like, yeah, I I, I mentioned like shit like to the Damager and like, those like sleeper cuts ill and scratch you know what i'm saying like oh, so shit you, like you, that. Oh, you went to the crates yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> shit like that came out in 94 you know so okay. that was the stuff that i really fell in love with um but i have to say if i pick one song from that era the song that kind of like grabbed me and like kind of fucked me up was probably the what by biggie smalls To get feels on and I want those shields on the to stop me from the beat and know they soft like the Twinkie Fillin' playing the villain, prepare for this rap killing. Vicky Smalls is the illest, Your style is played out like on the one that what you talking about, Willis. The thrill is gone, the black Frank White is here to excite the throat. Oh, because like the beat was just sick, and like the way he jumped on that, and mind you, like. This is a young kid. I didn't really understand everything that he yeah. was talking about. Yeah. I knew he was saying some raw shit, shit, but um, that shit just got me, man. Like big, big definitely spoke to me a lot, um, in in that time, man. So yeah, big, and I really loved Warren G. Also, mm-hmm. I realized like that um. What's that shit that he had? This DJ, mm-hmm. that's the best. Warren G song. Like a lot of people might call out regulate, but I love this DJ. It just has like such a dope vibe and the, the beat structure to that. Yeah. it's that's also what I love about
1: after we after we kind of got through the real heavy gangster shit of the late '80s, which yeah. it was it was a movement, it was a thing, and it was it what it did is it it, it changed how we thought about hip hop, really just being East Coast based, right? Mm-hmm. But what it also did was it it added um, a depth and complexity to production that we didn't really have as much. Like Bomb Squad was doing some good yeah. shit, but a lot of it was really like 808 heavy. It was mm-hmm. really like the really th- th- loud, th- it was aggressive. aggressive and very and then, crowded and dense. Dense. And then you'd have like guitar riffs and all that stuff. There was a mm. lot of like of like rock in hip hop in yeah. the '80s, right? You listen to those, you know, the old L Cool J stuff. You listen to Run DMC. It's it's still a lot of that mixed in. there's a little, you know, a little bit of R and B, but not yet, not yet, some right. of that soul. But when you start listening to Jay's uh, Dre's production, all that West Coast stuff really got bass heavy, got melodic. Mm-hmm. It really lifted yeah, the, the structure in a way that wasn't so dense. <laughs> and I thought it, it added. Yeah. To this, to this, this evolution, right? To to where we get to a place. This for me, this perfect moment of where the the bars were rich and complex and thoughtful and long. I mean, yeah. you listen to New York State of Mind. There's like forty bars yeah. of just dance rhyme. There's no chorus. There's like almost no music. It's yeah. just <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. And now there's like. Eight bars and a ton of production and yep. a bunch of chorus and everyone kind of dropping in different you And know, two
0: verses. Yeah, just, like it's only two verses now. <laughs> and they're
1: like, "That's
0: it." My, my whole song's two minutes and sixteen seconds long,
1: and it's but so so. But I think in this mid '90s period, you had this contribution of great production, people still really paying attention a lot to to the the lyrics that they're really trying to express, and it didn't yet get commercial. Right. Yeah. I think they were trying to reclaim the the value, the cultural aspect of hip hop in the early nineties from this kind of, I'm not saying that, 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 that gangster rap didn't have its place or that pop rap didn't have its place because right. it's all a part, right? It's, 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 it's a, it's a part of the story. But I felt like, you know, you get tribe called quest, you get brand new you get Nas, you get, you know, Warren G, you get these guys, DOC, you mm-hmm. get you know, Snoop. They're, they're adding something that's completely different from that stuff in a in a much more melodic production quality, and the quality's better. At the end of the day, they're putting more time and money and investment into how that music sounds Mm -hmm. and not just um, putting it out there. So I think this is why this is the perfect storm for me. Yeah,
0: it was also like, I feel like the confirmation of the sound of hip-hop changing. You know, like, when you think about 91, 92 production, Mm -hmm. it was still that... You know, Big Daddy Kane juice kind of yeah, flow, sure. you know, and then it kind of started transitioning. Like people like Dre were really changing change the sound. RZA was also like very, you know, different in the way that like hip hop production didn't sound that way. Right. And I feel like '94 was when it just stopped and it was a completely different sound. Right. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> so interesting. But um, so speaking, why speaking of mm-hmm. Kane,
1: are we going to talk about verses at all? Oh my god. Cool.
0: Yo. The perfect wine and hip-hop pairing is already out there waiting for you. I'm talking about Licata, the luxury Super brusco developed by Raekwon, the chef of the mighty Wu-Tang Clan. This hand-harvested sparkling red wine comes from the best hillsides of Emilia Romagna in Italy giving it the perfect combination of power and elegance with just enough sweetness to balance the bubbles. Developed in collaboration with Cantina Chechi, a family with over 80 years of experience producing some of the world's best Lambrusco. Lakata is the new standard of luxury. What other wine bottle you know got a velvet top? If you want to get your hands on some, you know I got you. All you gotta do is head to Lakata.com and use the promo code W-H-H-15, W-H-H-15, 15% off. That's L-I-C-A-T-A-A dot com. First of all, when DJ Red Alert came out, <laughs> I got up and ran around my living room. <laughs> no bullshit. Like, yo, when Red Alert came out, and then um, when Kane did that freestyle on on the I Shot gotcha. beat. Someone posted that.
1: This versus was for those who have the argument about Maxell versus TDK. And I'm like <laughs> and I wasn't sure was he like fucking throwing shade or was he was he like was it like props was, was it it like real? you're old you old fucks are talking about this cuz that's what mattered to
0: you? Yeah. But it's
1: true like I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. Maxell Mac, by the way, Maxell. But anyway, <laughs> um, but it's funny that to think of how that like you know South Bronx you know, because obviously Kane was a part of, of Marley, Marl's crew, yeah, right? And yep. so, so, like, the idea that we're going to take this, you know, 25 years, 30 years later. Jesus, 30, God, 30-something 30 years later. Like, that, that original South Bronx, you know, the bridge is over, mm-hmm. all that, you know, is an amazing part of hip-hop, which Nas did a good job in his documentary about... Uh, talking about the making of Illmatic, talking about how that affected Queensbridge. I thought that was a oh, really yeah. good piece.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was dope. Yo, yeah. Nas does a great, yo, the uh, the entire, like, uh, Mass Appeal, they do such a great job with their documentaries, man. They kill that shit. They, they definitely do a great Another job. Another guy, Alex like Amor. Uh, yeah? As you, oh, saw, as, oh, as as you posted. Yeah, yo, Nas is on his shit. shit yeah. I honestly think that right now Nas is going for a hip-hop wine connoisseur of the year. Like... <laughs> That fucking, that, that, did you hear what he spit on the DMX album? No, I don't know. Hate start with H, cause the H come after a G. They right. won't say it face to face, they say it after I leave. After the first night at my place, she asked for the keys. It's my season, garden of Eden, we Adam and Eve. Now we naked and savage, hedonism from a lack of belief. I ain't a pastor, pastor Lafitte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yo, Nas, and just the way that he set that shit up, you know, and he casually dropped, dropped the it. feet in there. So I just, I Nas, Nas is on his shit. He's working hard. Nas on his shit. Respect, <laughs> big respect, man. And I like we did. I don't. You know, we all super off topic. But did you see that like hip hop masterclass thing yeah, yeah. that he did? Great. That shit is dope. Like Crazy. I watched a piece of him explaining how he writes a rhyme. Very, yeah. very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so, but you brought this dope wine here. Um, why was the uh, the 94 shop important to you you know it's it's one of those
1: wines you know i don't know how many people do this but you know at some point you got to figure out how do you start to learn about wine and again in the 90s when i started learning about wine there's no internet um even the wine books weren't weren't that up to date so you'd read the wine books you'd read you know parker's wines in northern Rhone, and you read like jonathan living Le- Wines in Northern Rhone, blah, blah, blah. And, like, they would talk about 85, 88, 89, 91, 98, 99. <laughs> You're like, what happened to all these other wines, right? And so over time, you start to, like, taste these kind of off-vintages or kind of soft wines or whatever you want to call them, challenging vintages. And um, you get to enjoy them without the expectation of what they're of, – of, their expectation of greatness that they're supposed mm. to always achieve, and so I, I like the idea of the underperformer. I love the I like the idea that there is greatness in terroir. There's greatness in production. It's not that Jean-Louis and Gerard Chab forgot how to make wine because it was not a great vintage. Mm. You know, in fact, the greatest challenge it, for a, a grower is to how do you handle adversity? How do you handle challenges? It's like, it's, it's, you know, people show you who they are, not when everything is sunny, but when it's rainy, right? And so I think that's a good example of why looking for vintages where it's not heralded, um, it shows what the character of the grower is, what the character of the terroir is, what the character of the the, the wine is. And also it's a cool vintage. And in general, I kind of like cool vintage Rhone wine. I like Mm. the snappiness of, of the wine. Um, and it's a little lighter in, on its feet because of that, I think. There's there's more acidity. Uh, the wine doesn't have quite as much, like, extract to it, and it's just prettier. Yeah. So I, 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 because I'm such a burgundy drinker, a Barolo drinker, a Barbaresco drinker, you know, some some kind of more aromatic Sangiovese, when I drink Syrah-based wines, I like the more aromatic side of it of Syrah rather than mm. the density. So I, 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 lean more toward cooler vintage Syrah mm. from, from the Northern Rhone than I do kind of the big powerful, listen, don't get me wrong. I'll fuck up a 90, <laughs> <if you're letting laughs> you. but, but I'm just saying it, it also, it also fits, uh, a little bit more of of the kind of wines that i i want to i want to champion i want to champion the underdog you right. don't want to just be the cliche and like let me show you the wine that everyone knows is great
0: you yeah know? nah this is dope and this also
1: it's 94 which is really i want to make the point about
0: 94 being a great hip-hop year <laughs> yo you fucking brought it i gotta say yeah. yo like this again you know the tone of this show is really like you know mm-hmm. the year that uh the y'all fell in love with hip-hop and I didn't know that, by the way. That's yeah, that's all nah, new to me. Yo, dude, I didn't know it until okay. I started putting the show together. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is like a lot of self disk I'm thinking about shit from my childhood. You know, I'm, rec- I'm coming to terms with shit. You <laughs> got know? Some, got some crying going on. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of crying in the shower this morning. Uh, but, nah, nah. Um, but, no, man, you know, this is, I, I just think that this is a really interesting time. Like, right now, we're living in very um, interesting times you know uh, for a lot of reasons like one i'm just excited because you know just like we just mentioned wine and hip-hop culture is really flourishing you got mcs like nas dropping bars you know um drake even the baby talking about wine shit. you know the first time that i um kind of realized that there was a space for what i saw as a wine and hip-hop culture was in um this was 05 on the uh with Jay's verse on the Biggie Duets album. Oh right, yeah. And he was like, um, you know, what did he say? He was like the drivers, fuel okay. Once upon a time in America's muse. I heard him say it and mind you at that time, you know, I started at Zackies in 04. Right. You know, so I'm now in the wine auction office, no and five, some fucking boxes and I'm Patrice. like, I'm seeing Petrus. and I'm like, I, you know, I understand the legend behind it. I'm like, yo, Jay is rapping about this shit. He been talking about Cristal. He raps about watches, lifestyle and shit. Like, it's yo, gotta be good. There's a way that this world can exist. And I remember at that time, I was like, yo, I went to um Michael, mm-hmm. right. And I was like, look, we need to send Jay-Z a wine auction catalog. <laughs> no bullshit. That's funny. At the time, Mike and Linnea were running Zachy's, right? Funny. And I was like, yo. And Linnea was, Linnea fucking totally yeah. like, yeah, that would be great. Like, you know, she was all with it. Um, but yeah, man, I. When uh, I, yeah, you think about in Reasonable Doubt, his
1: first, I want to say it's like the first five tracks has a wine reference. The yeah. first five in a row have a fucking wine reference. Yeah. Like, boom, 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 boom. You know, granted a lot of the champagne because that's like yeah. that's what he was rocking back then, but you know, vintage flows, you yeah, know, all the stuff
0: he's talking about. Yo, the the double entendre you know, in that, I so sip good. fine I wine, wine and spit, spit vintage, vintage flows. flows. Like it's the fact that whole spit that in '96. Like this is off the block, Hove. Yeah. Oh, talking yeah. about wine tastings. Yeah. You know, he's like standing on <laughs> the corner of Trenton
1: thinking about that shit.
0: <laughs> you know, he's <it's> like. <laughs> That is that that always amazed me, you know, but it was at that point that I felt like, you know, me sending that uh auction catalog to to Jay's office was me trying to make that connection between yeah. wine and hip hop for the first and here time. You are. It were. Like I, it. I really, really worked on growing that idea for a long time. <laughs> but like, you know, I feel like especially working in uh so many of the restaurants that you've been in, you've seen so much of this wine and hip hop culture evolve because yeah. of like rappers like elevated palette you know um like when do you recall like the first time you saw like hip hop hip hop's palette really elevating
1: oh, that's a good question
0: um it's hard to
1: to talk about it without like yeah. disclosing too much private information which is something i try not to do too too much um there's like that covenant of trust with, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, when you're in a restaurant, you try not to talk about your guests too much, but mm-hmm. I would say the first time I really saw it firsthand was in Oh six. And, and that's, and that's just by chance of where I was working. And it was a fancy wine restaurant called crew and we had, we had some, you know, serious wine and, and, um, as you be, as you get known for the ability to have a great time with people would come to you for that. Yeah. And, you know, you would start to host some some events, and and your ability to keep that discreet and 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 not you know call Page Six and do all the stupid shit that people do because they think that that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. You kind of engender some trust with some of the, you know some of the, the you know these artists, and they'll come back, and you, then you can have real conversations about what do they like, and you can see um, the evolution of a palette, and and I don't think. Hip hop artists' palettes are any different than any banker's palettes or any student's palettes or my aunt's palette, for that I meaning. You, mm-hmm. In general, it's not it's not that controversial to say you kind of start with simple things yeah. and you learn to appreciate the finer things. It's the same with art. It's the same with architecture. It's the same with clothes. It's, it's, it's a whole bunch of stuff like that. Stuff takes refinement. Refinement takes time. It takes education. And you know, it's, it's, someone says the first time I had, you know. Latash, I really got it. I, yeah, maybe yeah. You know, okay. Okay, I didn't, but okay. Um, I do believe, however, I do believe that everyone is able to sense the difference between good and great, and the difference between good and terrible. And I think too often people play down their own education or knowledge uh, against themselves. And I think that that's wrong. And I think that they say like, "Oh no, I won't. I, I'm not. I don't have a. Gl- I don't want have a glass. I, I wouldn't understand it." That's bullshit. Yeah. You know, I use the analogy like. You know, if you feel cashmere and you feel burlap, you understand inherently there's two different quality levels there, right? right? You know what I mean? One, it just feels nicer to be around. <laughs> right. And I think that's the same with fine wine. There's a, there's a refinement. There's an elegance that happens with great, with great wine that people care about what they're making. That just, trans, that just comes through. Um, but over time, your palate develops from big obvious to right. finer and more discreet in a lot of things. And sometimes it doesn't mean you have to end with elegant wine doesn't right. mean you've got to end in Barolo or Burgundy or or, or whatever. You, you can drink wine for 50 years and like to drink cult Cabernet and Shiraz, and that's cool. I, yeah. I mean, there's no judgment. The, people's tastes are what they are. But I do think that over time, as you're studying it, you start to appreciate the little differences, um, and the little differences happen when um, nuance is allowed to shine. And I think that happens with varietals like Pinot Noir. And, right. And, Things like that. So, yeah. anyway, uh, so I would say like, I don't. I would say that over time you see hip hop assimilating into culture and culture assimilating into hip hop, and I think they kind of happen interchangeably.
0: Mm.
1: And I think that um, it's as just just like anything, hip hop is just an, a, an assemblage of people, right? right? And so it's hard to be talk about hip hop as like one, you know. Homogenous thing. Right, They're just right, different right. people, and different people have different preferences. <laughs> right. And so I don't want to make generalizations because, you know, I'm not saying that like fine wine has infiltrated hip hop. Yeah. But in general, because hip hop's a part of popular culture and wine now is much more about popular culture than it's ever been, mm. those two things just have more concentric circles. There's just more overlap between those two things. So it's right. inevitable that we're going to see more people who appreciate excellence appreciate excellent wine and be right. public about it, yeah. right? And, and because of social media and transparency and information, that would become more apparent than it would have been in the 80s. I mean, Rakim could have been drinking fucking right. feet <laughs> We just don't know about yeah. it. You know yeah. what I'm That is true.
0: Yeah, yo, it's funny too. Like, I think about Crew. Um, I remember back in the day, like at this point, I want to say I was maybe fresh out of the warehouse or still in the warehouse, but Fat Joe had this line. Pink see a sucker suit who but I on my way to party at Karoo and why. Now I ain't gotta tell you that some boys pop bottles and mommy's looking like America's top model. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> word fat, yo, you want some shit like this? Like, I remember thinking that at that time, I'm like, is he, is he? But now I'm like, yo, this is definitely what was happening. You know, I just, it's amazing to see, um, you know, that culture kind of coming around, full culture, full circle. It's great for everybody. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I don't
1: want to take too much of a side, but I imagine you got a bunch of questions, but this this idea of assimilating cultures together is something that's really important. Um, you know, we talked on the phone once a little bit about about this. But there's a there's a book that got turned into a VH1 series by a guy named Steve Stout called The Tanning of America.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And
1: when we talk about it, you know, you know we, 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 we swim in the same circle, social circle, so we see each other a bunch. And, you know, he used to say, like, he's like, you're a good example of tanning of America talking about me he's like you grew up in an era where hip-hop was coming around he's like I bet your favorite athlete in the 80s was African- American I bet your favorite musical artist was African American mm-hmm. I bet your favorite comedian was African- American and that's different than my dad right right so as a result what happens is is starting with my generation and, and you know in different places have different you know greater concentrations granted I grew up in a suburb of an urban city but the, his idea, his, his, he postulates this, this notion that because in popular culture we're seeing excellence exuded by, by African Americans, by, by black guys, by black women, Olympic stars, right? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable athletes, unbelievable performers, singers, musicians. We start to, to look up to people that look different than us. Right. And that hadn't happened for a long time. And so Steve uses this, this analogy of popular culture changing... How um, young suburban kids like me in the '80s start to think about hip hop, about Eddie Murphy, about Michael Jordan, about you think, name name the superstar of their respective field, and all of a sudden we're not looking at them as less than; we're looking right. at them as greater than.
0: Right, right, right. right? And, and he <laughs> makes
1: this argument. I think it's really important how how hip hop and he uses hip hop as the idea of like how from you know hip hop. Created an, a space where, you know, a Barack Obama can be president, right? Yeah. In a way, and I think Facts. it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a it's an important study and a conversation because it, at some point we have to figure out how do we assimilate our assimilate cultures in a way that it can't just be stay in your lane, yeah, right? And so the idea that a guy who looks like me from where I'm from shouldn't be allowed to play hip hop, shouldn't be allowed to represent hip hop, shouldn't be allowed to um, put you know african-american artists on the wall of our restaurant Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because i have to stay in my lane is bullshit and that that that's just going to create the divide That's going to just perpetuate the divide that i think we've lived through for the last several years right uh that's really just been exacerbated by the last several years i should say and and i think uh, i think steve's on on the right place in this and i think more of what you're doing i mean you look at the the, your the, the people who are on your show right Look, look a lot like me as much as they look a lot like you, and, yeah. and we're having the same conversation. Exactly. We're talking about two things that some people might think are on the polar opposite ends of the spectrum, but in reality, there's a lot of overlap. Exactly. And I think that's something that we need to talk more about, celebrate more, and stop trying to say like, you keep your your culture, your culture, and I'll mm-hmm. keep my I'll keep my culture, my culture. You keep your, and that's bullshit. Yeah. I mean, America- why shouldn't you be a wine expert? Why shouldn't you be a wine auctioneer? Why shouldn't you have a forum to talk about wine? Exactly. And I'm not a, I'm not a hip hop expert but I love it.
0: And it doesn't like there's no barrier on who can love hip hop or who can't like you know for me like the biggest thing is who who contributes to enrich hip hop culture. Right? Like who's making hip hop culture better. Right? And, like, let's look around. Like, look at the, look at the wall, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We yeah. got a big boom box behind right. here. Lila, we're like, cool. One yeah. of the best fucking wine lists in New York City. Right. You know, so it's um, who is who is adding to the culture yeah. and not taking away? Yeah, I'm, I'm not trying know? to profit off. I'm not I'm trying to exploit it.
1: You know, the idea of this kind of, like, what's it called? Uh, appropriation, which, by the way, it happens. There's a bunch of people trying to, like, make some, make some cash off of, uh, you know, uh, of hip hop culture I get it but the idea that you got to stay in your lane in order to be authentic I just I just have a tough time with it I like what DJ Cool Herc said he's like come come as you are mm. you come and you listen to my music and you like what I'm doing great <laughs> it's about intent what are right. you like, why are you here why are you you know and that's I think that's what's
0: important totally so, and it's like is your love is your love genuine for the culture yeah. you know it's like <clears throat> And like you have so you got people that, that come in and, and they're like poses you know like in all things it's, yeah that is true that is true like it's one of like I and I deal with this so much because especially like in the wine industry like when I start talking about hip hop. You know when motherfuckers go, and he named like three artists. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. that album okay. yeah. that was a great one. You know, and like right. it's just like you kind of get it, and it, it's fine. But it's okay. you know, I, I I think that's always been interesting, man. But like you know, so I saw when when I started coming to Charlie Bird, I really saw a break away from like the white tablecloth service. Yeah. Um overall yeah. in in New York City that's for, for sure. happening a lot. You know, you know shout out to my man Patrick Capiello. Right. right? Like Patrick was and again, it's not like I was hitting restaurants every day, you know, but within my limited view that I had, like Patrick was really the first person that I saw that was doing the the fine dining shit on like a very, you know, young, youthful no white tablecloth right. type of way, um, you know, like all those Fire Pearl and Ashton. It's mm-hmm. like again, that was also something that really inspired me to, you know, um, create this company in the way that yeah. we did. Um, but Charlie Bird was like the second place that I saw like that. Yeah, you know? We, it
1: was like there was like three openings that year, you know, uh, Pearl and Ash, Charlie Bird, and Estella all came out from three three sommeliers who, who became owners of restaurants in mm. the 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 that. The disconnect from being just an employee who runs a wine program to making financial decisions for the business at large yeah. and deciding where do you put your where do you allocate your dollars? And the two things that I said to Ryan, who you saw earlier, was the two things that are complete non-negotiables. We're gonna have great glassware and we're gonna have temperature control refrigeration for our wine. We can't you can't commit to that, I'm out. I'm just not doing it. Yeah. Because like you have to represent quality on those decisions because they impact so much. And so we became known for you know, a downtown restaurant to have Zalto glasses, yeah, with yeah. wine served at the right temperature, with you know super careful attention to detail and service, and a restaurant that's 55 seats to have two, sometimes three sommeliers working the floor, mm. is kind of insane. Yeah, right. Um, former best sommelier in the world, Arvid Rosenberg, wine mm. director. Yeah. Grant Reynolds, like out of you know, you know, Noma, Froska, working at Dujac, coming mm. in, and, you know, as the first wine director after me great great attention to detail on on wine service yeah. service that was a standout like, you know make sure that the the glasses are correct that the deca- that wines are decanted cleanly the wines are served sort of the right temperature you're monitoring you're you're thinking about it you're on top of it um and allowing corkage all also right. something we didn't i never done before right i worked you know danielle there's no corkage. crew is no corkage. there was all white tablecloths there was a bunch of, you know it was a different attitude but we but this restaurant was um really became, became into existence out of a conversation I had with Ryan when he was leaving Aspen. Was, he was the chef at the Little Nell. You know, My wife and I got married in Aspen. We spent a lot of time there. And we were having a conversation about why do we have to make a compromise when we go out to eat? Why can't we eat simply but really well? High-quality food. Food that's delicious but not overwrought. Served in a fun environment that looks good. Because like a lot of places, like they don't they don't give a shit about how nasty, yeah. dirty. They don't care about the details of like what do things feel like, what do things look like. Um, drink the Dr. Dre in him. Yeah, <laughs> right, like, details. <laughs> you know. Um, there's no reason there's this relief I'm believing there's just no reason you know what I mean anyway um, why there's soundproofing on the ceiling and all these little details right that make your enhance your experience without you knowing it right Right. there's a a subliminal sense of calm when you're in a a place that's designed well I didn't design the restaurant this incredibly talented group at Leroy Street did but um, we had a lot to say about it we had to say what we wanted it to feel like and it really came out of we want to eat simply drink really well and listen to hip hop and the last part wasn't so much we were trying to make a statement, but it was, I knew I was going to be here at least 80, if not a hundred hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> so if I only listen to hip hop when I'm on my free time, I'm here a hundred hours a week. I feel like I should be able to listen to hip hop while I'm working. Right. And we weren't sure at the outset how that was going to play. We didn't care, but we knew we were going to get some shit. Yeah. And we did. And that was fine. Um, People kept going, like, we thought we were going to listen to jazz. And I'd be like, why did you want to listen to jazz? Like, Charlie Bird, Charlie Bird Parker. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's so, I'm so fucking ignorant, right? That shows my ignorance about. Charlie Parker's, you know, whatever. So I was like, damn, I fucked that up. But <laughs> then the I'm like, I'm sorry. We did try to calm it down. We tried to like take the gunshots out of like opening sides of tracks, like had that, you know, that kind of shit. Didn't play Ether. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude. One to, uh, yeah, one time that that happened uh, when people were in the in the in the rush on that when it shouldn't have, but yeah, it just yeah. happened. Um, and you know, little things like we started to build the playlist. Where it's a little bit more mellow when the restaurant's not as full early when there's maybe some families in the restaurant you got to be a little bit sensitive yeah but when it's rocking it's full contact Ooh, you, wanna, you wanna i've just, heard i've you heard, heard dip like, set <laughs> you don't want to be yeah fucking.
0: i lo- this this restaurant had so many of those moments where you'd be like in the middle of your meal and like oh shit i haven't heard that in a minute like and then you just rock for a second so yeah like and there was a lot of that 94 shit. yeah in big, there.
1: Uh, big shout out to charlie reyes Word. you know audio culture works, opening bartender, opening server, became bartender, and I used to DJ for my phone when I, I used to fuck it up all the time because I just had other shit going on. I wouldn't remember to mix the tracks, or whatever. Charlie was like, "I can do this better. Just give me mm. a shot." And he came up with one play that Ryan was talking about earlier that was great. And he's done all the music for all the restaurants since, and created his own company yeah. to do it for restaurants. And he's been uh, he's been a, an absolute asset. Opened all three restaurants with us.
0: Great guy. Charlie's Charlie. a legend right yeah. now. Yeah, man. it's crazy. Shout, right? shout out to my man Charlie, Charlie. Reyes, man. <laughs> we got we got link up soon, bro. <laughs> he'd love to do this conversation oh yeah yeah, yeah. You know, he's Char- a sommelier
1: now he passed his sommelier test yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. Yo, he's a bartender man. for real but he's a sommelier too yeah
0: nah yeah. charlie's Char- the man yo so like with um definitely you know opening like you guys were really disruptors without trying Try, to be, yeah. no. you know what i'm saying like you were just being yourself that's you it. know and it, it just so happened like did you feel like you were doing something revolutionary at that time or like was just like not really.
1: I would say not really. And 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 it, what I was saying is we were trying to be both Ryan and I were really trying to be authentic. Yeah. Ryan left a fine dining, you know, fancy white tablecloth restaurant in Aspen, moved to New York. Um, I came from that that my, that was my life up right. till you know you know I obviously worked at Lupin, a couple other places that weren't quite as fancy, but in general fine dining was my thing, and we had a really important wine program at Crew, and I wanted to kind of go away from that i wanted it to be rather than have a vertical of 10 wines just choose the one, one vintage that's that we should be drinking right now mm-hmm. so rather than have hundreds of wines we had like a hundred and right. and nothing was above at that time i think it was like 250. and everything was priced well we had we allowed people to bring in wine the corkage was fair especially considering the glassware and the talent we wanted to be inclusive we wanted people to come in and drink lots of wine right. because if you lower those barriers people have more fun and we wanted to have a fun restaurant. Yeah. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And we just realized there have to be New York's a big place with a lot of people, right? And you figure there's enough people that think like you that could fill a restaurant every night. You don't need a lot, right? <laughs> you, you need like 150 yeah. people to do some business here. So like, yeah. there's got to be 150 people per night who want to do what I want to do. <laughs> I can't a, be that fucked up. I'm not that much of a freak way to
0: think about it. <laughs> and it
1: worked. And um, it got crazy. it got crazy and not with you know when without a lot of the traditional uh food media love right because the other thing we didn't want to do was play that game that like you got to be like a james beard like kiss ass you got to like walk on eggshells around all these guys like i knew pete wells was i I told ryan we shouldn't let pete wells in the restaurant he's not going to get it Mm -hmm. he didn't get it he's not gotten any of our restaurants and i i don't know i yeah I'll take the fucking Pepsi challenge. I mean, like, our shit's fucking straight when like there's a bunch of restaurants he's given much better reviews to that have closed. And that's not here, here, there. Right. I'm just saying like you're, re- your, that review doesn't make or break your restaurant anymore. Like it used to, because if you have, if you're doing the right shit and you're authentic and you stick to your values and you're transparent about what matters to you, people value authenticity. Facts. Uh, yeah. no matter what like people smell a fake yep. it's fucking New York City mm-hmm. you know and people can tell you whether you're be- you're full of
0: shit like they can look is it a money play like yeah you try
1: to like draft something mm-hmm. or you try to like people know if you're being authentic and yeah. same thing with hip hop you know totally. people come in they're like blah blah blah, blah. I'm like what do you want to know what do you want to know about this track or the next 10 track what, yeah. like, you, know, <laughs> you know
0: I'd rather talk about that than the wine so <laughs> exactly. you know like now you got my attention i right. sitting down <laughs> right what do you want to do <laughs> nah so. that's real man like I know, like, for me, um, I remember leaving um, Wine Auction and, you know, talking with people about what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. Like, I started doing things the way that I did because, um, you know, it hip-hop was the way that I was unique in the industry. You know, yeah. my genuine... Connections and ties and hip hop. And you
1: brought that shit to the auction podium.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You you know what it? I'm I'm in the I'm in the back corner, fucking you <laughs> <up>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, I did definitely bring some, But you know, it was uh, yo, shout out to Levy Dalton. To be real with you, yep. Levy was the one that told me to embrace that shit more. Fuck yeah. Yeah, he was authenticity like, yo, sells. One hundred percent. He it. yeah, he um he was like, Look, you're unique. You're in this space. Who else is like you? Yeah. Embrace that. Like people love you. People yeah. want to see that. I'm like, yo, you know what?
1: You're okay. right. Yeah, yeah. And
0: I just I continue to um, to Good push on that. But and he's and that, he lives that. He lives those ethos. Facts. Yeah, yeah. Levy. Like, I like Levy. Mm-hmm. Yo, we used to hang out a lot, man. Yeah. And in the auction days too. Um, yeah, shout out to him. He was very influential yeah. in the creation of wine and hip hop. But like you know, I there was a lot of love, and there was people that were like hating. You know, people that were talking shit behind my back, or like. Good on you for fighting a good fight. Like That's not gonna work. Like the people literally really? said that's not going to work. Um, you know, sell wine to rich people, like shit like that. And you know, I started the podcast because it was the long way in. I right. wanted to build reverence for wine as a category yeah. so that I could start introducing things of higher quality to people. But yeah, you know, I dealt with my fair share of bullshit. Like when you like opened the restaurant and you guys were playing hip hop music, yeah. um, did you deal with like a lot of shit and like how did you handle that at that time?
1: You know, admittedly, um, not well. Mm. I have to say, um, it's funny because there's a couple guys who worked with me now for opened all three restaurants. And one guy works with me now, at Grand Crew, and he always talks about like the pre Henry, my son Robert, and the post Robert. <laughs> I was, I'm a fucking hothead. I was a, mm-hmm. a real hothead before my son was born. My first son was born, and I didn't handle it all that well because mm. at the end of the day it's hard to have someone who has no skin in the game, no investment, no understanding of what it takes to open a restaurant in New York City, let alone be a, like a lifelong industry veteran in this city to get through and open your own space how hard that is how much how much real effort it takes to get there to get people to or you convince enough people to give you enough money to open this space. It took a lot, right? And we, Ryan and I had, had a really small budget. We did a lot of the work ourselves. We did a lot of the demo ourselves. We did a lot of stuff. And so to have someone completely unrelated to that, sh- that effort think that they have the right to come and tell me what i should do in my own place it's like kind of coming into your house and be like no no, no I, I don't want to have roast beef tonight i don't want to have meatloaf you're like i don't give a fuck what you want like you know what i mean like you, at yeah. some point you'll be like this you're in my place right. and i'm not saying that you have to be in this place but if you're going to be in this place you're gonna have to live with what we're doing and, right. and that's why like you know complete tangent when people are like oh i don't understand the Jacket only requirement, or the X Y Z requirement. Like you're going to someone else's establishment, yeah. and they're setting the rules, and either you're you're on board or you're not, and it has nothing to do with it, whether you're worthy or they're better. Or you, you've set up. You're making a statement of what you want to try to accomplish in your little space. This is a small space, and you know we didn't re, you know we didn't recreate the world. We had our own little space that we really thought was important to us. And we were going to serve wine that we wanted. Ryan was serving the food. He really felt strongly about how he wanted it to be done. And we tried to deliver the hospitality that really spoke to us. Mm. And now, if all those things worked but you didn't like the music, and that was a game changer, that was a deal breaker, we had to let the chips fall where they may. And there's some people who never came back, and we got a lot of nasty Yelp reviews and a lot of bad shit that came our way via email. But at the end of the day, much more positive comments. Much, more, Many more people come here because of the vibe and the experience and the right. music. Number one, Rezzy uh, comments, number one was always vibe. Yeah.
0: The vibes were perfect Always yeah, every vibe. single time. It's crazy. Every single time, like never meant. And I'm
1: not saying the food and the wine weren't good, but vibe. Yeah, Spot you know, on. I think, you, you know, that comment where you don't remember what you ate or drank but you remember how you felt when you left matters. Yeah. And that is something that you walked out and be like i had a fucking great time tonight
0: yeah. and
1: you know maybe i spent more money than i should have maybe i drank too many more glasses than i should have maybe i should have <laughs> had the extra thing of fries <laughs> but you know what you had a good time
0: yeah yeah no that that is 100% true and that was that was um i feel like i think the music really kind of loosened something up because yeah. there's like that surprise factor like the oh yeah. shit yeah. it just feels like you had a really cool party right you know like this doesn't happen usually, right. you know. So that that was um, very special. Was like so, then like later, you you know, you guys opened Pasquale Jones, and yep. then later Legacy Records. Like, how do you, which all had different vibes, yeah. You know, so how do you like choose the vibe for the different spaces? Well, Pasquale Jones was,
1: was a really easy extension of this restaurant because you know when we talked about when Ryan and I we first talked about Charlie, Brew, we were like, we want to eat a great roast chicken. With a bottle of Burgundy and have some French fries, that was it. Like that was easy. It's just like, how how hard can that be, right? And that we we figured that out. And then we got the vibe right. We felt like we we really felt like what we created spoke to us. It was authentic. It was genuine. And and we didn't always execute perfectly, right? Because you just can't. Like you know, you you can't bat a thousand. So we we took our lumps when we didn't we didn't kill it, and you know. But we really always tried. We 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 had intention to do the right thing. Squadron's was really the same thing. Like, why can't we eat great pizza? Mm. Drink great wine, <laughs> listen to music. Yep. Like, it was the same formula except add pizza. Yeah. And that's so
0: funny. I feel like y'all just kind of like sitting back smoking some butt, Like, yo, we should have a pizza. Do joint. joint. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna say that's how it happened, you know?
1: I don't smoke marijuana, but if I I understand the sense. Yes, yeah. It may yes. have been of a glass of wine or a few beers, but for sure it was like. Why don't we, but you, we were really trying to fit our, fill our own need. Right. At the end of the day, trying to satisfy your own need means that there's a space in the market that isn't being satisfied by someone else. Right. And that's not that, we're not geniuses. Like we're not like, we didn't get, you know, we didn't go to HBS, we don't have like MBAs. Like we're fucking working class guys. Right. You know what I mean? That f- figured out there probably other people who wanted to eat pizza and drink delicious wine. But then we, we really didn't want it to be just about pizza. We spent a bunch of time in in, in Naples and and stuff. We ate some great pizza, but we're also like, wood-fired food is special. It's just different, right? right. So you just, you know, uh, the chef, when we opened, Tim Kaspar made this pork shank that he like layered in like lard with fennel and we're like, this is fucking bananas. This is great. Mm. This is gonna be the signature, right? This is gonna be like how David Chang made like the bosom, the thing at Momofuku that everyone talks about the, the buns, but really the bosom was the thing, right? that one of you but inevitably pizza dominates everybody likes pizza like everybody so pizza became the dominant force at Pasquale. and what i did want to when i spoke to charlie about music i said i want charlie bird to always be about hip-hop that's old school that's this era i talked about this eight, late 80s to mid 90s because it again it was just it's what i fell in love with i was going to spend my most time here this is my first real restaurant on my own i really cared about it I gave him a lot more license to do what he felt was a little more current, that he wanted to be, he wanted to be a little more experimental, mm-hmm. and because we had that trust by this point, I didn't even think about the music at Pascoe Jones. Mm. I did say I would like a little bit more soul, funk, James Brown, a little bit more of the, the antecedents of hip hop. Production yeah.
0: in their original form, mixed in with some hip hop, right? They clean the house on Saturday morning music, right? Right, exactly, right, <laughs> yeah. exactly, right. Yeah. And so, like, that's the
1: stuff. Like, that's if I play in yeah. the mornings when my kids are on, because like I can't really yeah. play too much hip hop with my kids still yet. Yeah, but so he mixed that up, and it felt great. It had a little funkier vibe. It was great, like the James Brown standing next to the Learjet, you know, in the back when you walk yeah. next to the ovens, <laughs> kind of became like our like. This is what's gonna inspire us. Like the the Def Jam twenty fifth anniversary out book that came out um, just before we opened Charlie Bird was kind of the inspiration for a lot when we talked to our architect, I'm like this is what we this is our inspiration, like right. this is what speaks to us. That when we found that, that print, we talked to Charlie like this is our like you know, I don't really like say spirit animal like you said earlier, but the kind of in a way like that that was what drove our motivation for how we wanna think about the the vibe of that room mm. in a mm. way. And then legacy was was different because it was in a place that had no identity yet, right? Like that part of New York was still being developed. Um, we knew it was going to be finer. We knew the, mu- the and because the space was bigger, you, you didn't have the intimacy of sound yeah. like you have. I mean, I think the problem with a lot of, of big spaces is, is you don't get the quality of sound. Like we, we spent, we could have put four speakers in here. There are 16 speakers in this room. Wow. Because yeah. so because there's just the quality is better with more speakers at lower volume mm. playing a crisper sound. And then we have sound attenuating materials
0: that help you produce a better, clearer sound. Right. We the didn't Dr. have the Dre in him. <laughs> 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 this is a this is thing. Yo, my man hit this shit out the park with the spirit animal question. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: but we didn't have the same, we didn't have the same thing. It was a bigger space. So, you know, we were, we were playing a little bit more, um, a mixed genre of music. But again, I, I really defer to Charlie because by that point, we're six years into a relationship, and he knew yeah. what was gonna play. Yeah, he was yeah. gonna open all the spaces, but um, Legacy was ex- always e- expected to be a little bit of a step up. It was like, kind of like the graduation of Charlie Bird's infancy, right? right? And so we were we were kind of like crawling here, walking at Pasquale and running at Legacy, and that was the idea. We'd have finer stuff, we could afford nicer things. It was in a, a new development. We had more event space, we did private events. And um, and in the end, that's what kind of ended up having like. This is, like, wood veneer. There's leather. I mean, this is, like, a different, you know what I mean? There's just Mm -hmm. an evolution of quality of materials that happened there. Um, But at the end of the day, this is still my spot.
0: Mm, Yeah. You know,
1: warts and all, this is my spot.
0: I feel you. Yeah. Like, there's something about Charlie Bird, dude. Like, it just has that, you know, it's always going to be in my opinion, like when I really fell in love with fine dining, you know, like before it didn't really feel like it fit me. Yeah. yeah. You know? So this was, this is also very important, um, restaurant for me, like, and lasting power, you know, like, yeah, uh, you think about in eight years. Exactly. In New York City. Big. That, that is a very, very important thing. Like, you know, you think about the blow that restaurants took, Oh man, right? Last year. Like this shit was crazy. and, and you're a dude, you know the wine industry so well. You've navigated many of like troubled waters. <laughs> like, do you have um, any advice for like the restaurant tours uh, that are listening to the podcast?
1: I think you probably summed it up best early in that um, how you went about what you did at the auction. You just were you, right? Mm. At the end of the day, we're in a competitive environment right now in, in the most competitive city in the world, right? Like everything about New York is competitive. Like, you gotta like edge
0: out someone to get on the subway. You're, yeah. you're not waiting in line for that coffee. Like everything is. Right. You're just getting edged. It's very hard to order a sandwich in a deli. Right, <laughs> right. You're like there's no there's no line. You, you gotta, gotta box like.
1: out. You know. <laughs> so we're in we're in a competitive environment in a really competitive time, and I think if you want to attract not just customers but staff, which is the real key right now, mm. you've got to. You've got to be genuine. you got to be who you are, right? And so that's the hardest part. I would always say that's. I think that's my advice to everyone on everything is just to try to be who you are and be transparent about it. Specifically right now, it's just really, really tough. Yeah. Um, New York is, like many big cities, you know, there's a lot of flight. People are, like, realizing that they can do a lot of work from home. Um, people are ordering in a lot more, staying at home. It's just not the same thing. So I feel bad... I don't feel bad. I, I, f- I, have a, I have a lot of sympathy for, for, for my f- my former colleagues. As you know, I'm out of the restaurant business now, which was really, really tough for me. It was a tough decision um, that I had to make last year. But um, I support restaurants. I, I personally, I do as much as I can to spend money in restaurants. I never bring wine to restaurants yeah. That's another thing. I think I try to support people who are buying wine uh, in trying to just because wine is a big part beverage is a big part of the final profitability in restaurants i would say for those who don't have real wine programs to use look at that as a competitive advantage because at the end of the day there's there's greater profitability there there's there, you're attracting you're separating yourself from other restaurants that don't have it um but at the, at the end i mean i I'm really hopeful that the restaurant can come through the, a really, really tough time. This is the the toughest period that I've seen in the 25 years I've been in New York City. Um, this is, you know, just a much more difficult economic period for restaurants um, in a lot of ways. And it goes up and down the supply chain. Like, it's hard to get stuff. Um, people have just moved on. And, um, yeah, it's. I think New York, to be honest, fully can. I think New York's, it's, it's a tough time right now for the hospitality industry. And, and New York isn't New York without a really strong, robust, engaged hospitality industry. People come to New York for hospitality, for restaurants. And so if we can't, as New Yorkers, support that community, we're just going to see a diminution of tourism, of tax base, of just culture and quality of life. Because that's what provides uh, the, fab- the social fabric in New-, in New York. People go out to restaurants because no one's cooking at home. I don't yeah. know about you, but yeah. I mean, I can cook, and I don't control home. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. You you are in in a different side of the business now. Yeah. Now I just run wine right? in poor business. Yeah. So, like, do you miss restaurants? Oh. Every day, mm. and, and it's
1: especially acute when my wife and I are in a restaurant, and she she can notice, she sees <laughs> I'm a little anxious. I I want to I want to help. I want to like uh, you know, um, but it's not even so much that anxiety; it's the uh, fulfillment you get. That I, that I got personally, for turning a table around, a bad experience into a good one, or a good one into a great one, or an anonymous one into a relationship. Mm. And a lot of those experiences, I'm not saying that that happened at every table, but even if it's 10% of that, mo- that, that number of diners that you speak to per night, that you can create, make a connection with, you really get a high off of it. And it yeah. really, and I miss that. And so now, the, the flip side of that is, for the first time in my both adolescent and adult life, I'm at home at night. I, I have two <laughs> small boys at home, and I get to see them. Yeah, I, You know, I get to tuck them into bed and read them stories. And mm. so there's a lot of value to that. And I, I'm not sure I would trade that. I'd like to have my cake and eat it too, like yeah. everybody. But um, if I could... I would work at restaurants from like 9 p.m. to midnight <laughs> right. after my boys are asleep. But Yo, it's not That that's that's a fair trade. It's a fair trade. I'm not No, no, I get that.
0: super fortunate on that front and uh, I got to thank my wife for that. Yeah, you don't even think of I I, I didn't think mm-hmm. about it that way. Um no, that's real, man. Like I I also appreciate the fact that you know you are someone that really knows hip-hop love hip-hop thanks man also loves um restaurants loves wine you know i ask a lot of my hip-hop guests this question but i think that you'd have a very interesting perspective on it like what do you think the wine industry can do to develop stronger connections with the hip-hop world you know like i i i consult with a bunch of different companies Mm -hmm. and not to say that they want to crack hip-hop per se they do feel like it has a way of um, creating empathy amongst people that from like all different walks of life. You know, like we think about what you talked about earlier and people looking up to black celebrities. It's there was no way in the past for people to develop that level of empathy with people that didn't come from that circumstance because right. like you know th- this story is just being told broken glass everywhere pe- right. pissing it right. all right. oh, right. like you just, just don't, don't care, care. <laughs> like that didn't they didn't know <laughs> that before <laughs> you know what i'm saying no. so um, the
1: view into the ghetto for a suburbanite for someone like me happened
0: because of hip-hop that's you know, the only way it's it's so important for so many reasons i think that it has it it's very powerful and it can be very powerful in like, you know, bringing wine and, and hip-hop culture together. Saba, um, there's a guy, Max o Cream. new artist. I'm not sure if you're fucking with no. a lot of new people right no. now, All Right. That's guy from Houston. All of that said, it can be extremely important to get these two worlds together um, just for social yeah. reasons, right? So what are some things that you think the wine industry can do to, um, to bring those worlds together. I think it's something that the wine industry has, has struggled with in the past, and not
1: just about the hip hop community, it's it's about the, the very well-earned um, prejudice that they have about being exclusionary, that right. they are um, a feat, they live in a snobbish world, that there is some code, there's some language, there's some jargon that you have to know in order to appreciate wine, and I think that that's bullshit. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm not one for I'm not one for uh, dumbing anything down. Frankly, I'm about elevating and lifting up. I think that what we we as wine professionals, and I think there's a, the newer generation, is, and by, by the way, like when when I came into it, it was it was not about this. It was about mm. excluding people. You know, there's a whole segment of people who are studying. Wine to ex- about excluding other people, right? right. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, that's a different thing. Where where is there's a there's a generation of people who are talking about how do we bring more wine drinkers into it? And you know, however much I'm not the the, the greatest champion of natural wine, as a as a as a, a you know a, a world of of conversation, what they're doing is they're bringing in more people into the fold of wine, and I, I think as a rule. Wine, especially fine wine, expensive mm-hmm. wine, limited wine, um, you know, people are like, I don't care whether you know the different climas of Hermitage that was made. I don't care if you know the great vintages or the f- few of v- the good producers. Does this wine speak to you? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to, right? You, and you can, And you know, when, we, when I talk to a bunch of people, whether they're in hip hop or, or anyone who's kind of learning about wine, what I try to do is I try to like level set quality and have Diagnostic tests of this these are effectively the same of everything, except they're very stylistically different. And what does your palate say? Do you like do you like to go left or do you like to go right on this path? Mm. And not talk down to them that you chose left versus right. And whether I like the wine on the right better, it doesn't matter. I think it's not wine, it's wine people. And this is a conversation. It's like yeah. hip hop isn't anything other than a group of people. Same thing with wine. Wine is a group of people and if they can figure out a way to reduce that, those barriers of entry and genuinely care that there are more people excited about drinking their wine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: great. And I think we're getting – we've, we've made some progress. Yeah. I would say we've made some progress. There still is this you don't know enough about wine for you to deserve to drink this glass of wine right. is bullshit. And I, and I can't say that enough. And I have this argument all the time with a bunch of people who feel like they can only open their good wine – for their friends, yeah. but not for their wives and their wives' friends. Yeah. You know, I, I, I gotta tell you, you know, guys are like, you no, know, we gotta, you gotta have a separate section in the cellar for my wives and her friends. I'm like, that's fucked up. If I said that, my wife would smack me, and she'd be right. You know,
0: because yes, yeah, she wouldn't have that. Shit. She wouldn't have that shit at all. There's
1: no section in our house yeah. that she gets to drink from. There's because the, she shouldn't. She she knows wine at least as well as me, and so I think that it's not just about hip. I think wine as a as 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 a commu- wine community in general, has to just calm the fuck down and just be like, <laughs> let's get more people excited about what we're excited about. And you can start at Zinfandel or Cabernet or Bordeaux or Pinot Grigio for all I care. Mm-hmm. Um, natural wine for all I care. I don't care how you get there. Just, just get in there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd like you to stop drinking White Claw if I had a fucking choice, <laughs> right? Because that's just straight up fucking trash.
0: Yeah, it's messed up. Right? <laughs> but, you know what I mean? <laughs> but
1: but I, don't get, I don't get a choice. What I'm saying is... Choose people who choose wines that, that are made by people who care about what they're doing right. first and then move on from there. Like I, I think pr- price is an issue, right? Quality wine costs money and there's, there are barriers to entry that's economic and right. there's no disputing that, but um, we all make choices where we want to spend our money. And if you're really, really, interested in wine, you can like anything, s- you know, celebrate small victories in life. You know? Yeah. You know what I mean? When you make a little <laughs> bit of money, you know, when you grew up without a lot of money, the first thing you did when you had a little money, you bought the thing you really wanted. You yeah. didn't save that shit. You didn't be like, "Yo, I'm gonna save that for a condo." Yeah. You're like, "I'm bu- no. I'm
0: buying that fucking." I'm buying this Peli Peli right now. <laughs> shit. You know. Yeah. No, that that is true, man. Now, nah, it's, it's it's definitely a passion of mine, man, because like, Clearly. wine wine opened my eyes up to the rest of the world. You know, like I to to um to enjoy wine truly and enjoy wine culture, you really have to become a citizen of the world, right? Because, like, yeah, wine in the U.S. is cool, yeah. but personally, I like French wine, yeah. like, you know? Um, and, and my palate's still growing. Right. So um, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot that can be gained by just opening this culture up, man.
1: And the best thing about it is, is the, the people that are interested in wine are from all walks of life. Yeah. There's no reason... That we know the people we know, yeah. because of but because but other than because of wine, there's no chance yeah. that the people that you know would have happened through any other field, right? But these the the shared passion of wine opens a lot of doors, yeah. And it's opened totally. tons of doors for me. There's it's embarrassing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Seriously, my wife and I were talking about that last night. Like, I was at this dinner. I'm with like crazy bunch group of people, and it's just like, yo, this is wild. Oh like. <laughs> this is and talking i'm talking about 10 year old jermaine to be honest with you i'm like yo this shit's great and like they're interested so it, it was just it's um wine is cool for that reason yep. and totally my life's work right now so um again man appreciate you for the inspiration uh, um, i,
1: I love to see i love seeing your your fucking meteoric rise in the wine business <laughs> and now you're including my other favorite subject so yeah. it's great i'm really happy for you what you're doing I'd like to see you back on the auction podium every once in a while. It's some charity stuff I see, but I, on the regular, I'd like to see you. Yeah, it.
0: yo, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I do miss um, commercial auctions of of course. a bit. Like, it's, it's The charity
1: fun. thing's a little bit of a goof. Yeah. The, but the commercial thing is when it gets real. That's
0: when, yo, it, you know, I'm on a 200 lots. I, I, I'm knock in it out. and out. Like, you can play on some. You stick on some. It, it, I, I do miss commercial auctions yeah. a lot. I'll, I'll be back someday. Right. Like, I, I've been, I'll, I'll be back one day. You need, you need a reference. Hit me up my man (laughs) yo you heard it here first y'all it's another episode of wine and hip-hop yo robert thank you very much for joining us honored to be here thank you legendary thank you great show man appreciate you
1: i'm glad you put me on the spot of my favorite album because that's a tough one (laughs) so thank you for that you know
0: what you actually you actually answered it in the in the interview man no,
1: yeah, I, I said I think the most perfect album. Right,
0: right, right. Okay, 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 cool. So, part two. <laughs> part two. Yo, Robert, thank you, man. My pleasure,
1: it. Thank you. you. I really appreciate
0: it. Thank you. Peace. This was a moment in wine and hip-hop, brought to you by Crew Love.